0: Okay, and we're live. Welcome everyone, hello. Um, my name is Sayla and this is Silas, my brother, and we're gonna be doing a couple worship songs today. I know this is something that we've never done before, but please feel free to sing along with us at home. Um, yeah, you should have lyrics on your screen. So please, please do follow along. Um, I'll just open quickly with a prayer. Dear God, um, I thank you for the gift of the internet, which has helped us all to be here together today, even despite being able to join um, physically, and I pray that you would bless this music and bless the sermon, and we commit the service to you, in your name I pray, amen. 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 You brought Yes, is where and show me
1: everybody. Good morning. I hope you can hear me. If you can't, try and read my lips. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you all over the world, wherever you are. We pray that God's peace and comfort is with each and every one of you. And thank you for tuning in today. Um, As per normal, before we get to the word, we do want to highlight a few things for you that are happening in the church. Of course, all of you know that we are Staying online because of what's happening with the coronavirus. And we pray that all of you are safe and able to just take care of your families and, you know, be in a place where you really can um, stay at home and keep healthy. Um, I wanna point out a couple of highlights regarding to giving in the church. Um, ben, if you can give me the next slide. Um, there are lots of different ways to give. So for your normal tithes and offerings, we wanna just remind you that you can just take a look at the slide and. See the different ways that you can give um, both domestically as well as um, abroad so we want to encourage you to keep giving during this time. Um, we know that we're all going to be stretched but we just encourage you to consider keeping faithful to the commitments that you've made to church um, and secondly because we do know this is an extraordinary time in the world's history LVC has established a Corona Rehema so many of you know that we have a Rehema ministry that serves to seek those in need in our congregation d- throughout the year throughout many different circumstances but in light of the global pandemic LVC has established a Corona Rehema basically we wanted to have a special account set aside to do two things one to take care of the needs of those in our congregation who are most vulnerable and do not have a financial buffer during this season we know that here in Kenya tens of thousands of people have already lost their livelihoods and their jobs and it breaks God's heart, it breaks our heart. And so in response to that, we have established a special fund. And then secondly, the reason is because we know that there are many organizations in Nairobi, outside of Nairobi and uh, throughout the country that are already serving in informal settlements in um, destitute and poor areas. And so the Corona Rahema Fund will be a place that we can withdraw funds and contribute to those organizations that are already hard at work. And we know that many of you are a part of that work. So God bless the work of your hands you can see the Mchanga um, account there, the pay bill and account number. It will be on our website and on the Facebook page, so you can give anytime. It doesn't have to be just right now, but we do want to make you aware of both those things, giving to LVC and then giving to our community um, throughout Kenya. So just be mindful of those two things. Um, you know, waking up this morning, I was excited to give this word, also a bit nervous because this is a new thing and um, TV is, you know, fun kind of. Um, but I was nervous about it but I, I did get dressed the first time in almost like two weeks to get properly dressed I even put on perfume that's how like excited I was but also out of touch with how this actually works so I smell good but only my family can smell me but you know anyway um, they can confirm I have some hands raised at testifying that this is mm-hmm. true um, and as we go throughout today's sermon um, I just you know we'll be doing it like normal putting the slides up I've got a good three hour block of Uh, message to share with you today. But before I start, I do want to point out um, that the kids' unit scripture this week comes from Luke 4.18, which reads that he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And it was not, I won't say coincidence, it was God's providence that that happens to be their scripture reading this week, as we are in the middle of a time where people do need us to give generously, And kids, I hope you've heard from Pastor Isabella. I know she sent out things to your parents. So if you're watching today, I hope you'll listen to the end, but also there's things available from you from LVC that you can enjoy as we all think about the good news that God has asked us to share with the poor, with our communities, with those around us. Um, And I just wanna say one last thing before I pray and begin the sermon. Thank you to all of our healthcare workers, our doctors, our public health officials, our workers who are at kiosks and providing goods to their communities to grocery workers to those in hospitals who are cleaning and sanitizing areas the world um, gives their thanks and i just want to say thank you on behalf of our community for the tireless work that you're doing we are keeping you in prayer and trusting that god will give you the grace to do the work that you are called to do in this season whether it's selling you know uh posho or if it's cleaning a hospital bed, uh, we pray that God's grace would be upon each and every one of you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this Luke series that we have been in. You knew exactly where we would be today, and you know what we need to hear. So God, I put myself aside and ask you, Holy Spirit, just to say what you want to say to your people, to us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. All right, let's get going. So those of you who have been with us have been following on in this Luke series that we have been in since uh, the beginning of the year. Then you can go to the next slide. And as we go through these slides, they might lag a little bit. So if they lag, just refresh your browser and it should catch you up to where we are. There are a lot of cool things about Luke's gospel that we've already said, but I just want to remind us that it's very likely that Luke was a Gentile, which is significant because he would have been the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. And from his book of Luke and um, like the Acts, we get a majority of the New Testament, which is incredible. 20 to 30% of the entire New Testament scriptures come from this Gentile author who was writing to Gentile Christians. So those of us who are not so churchy, Gentile basically is just those who are not Jewish, those who did not grow up with a, this promise that they were God's people. So people who are really outside of traditional church and, and gatherings. So this book of Luke is for all of us who would say, you know, I don't really fit into that churchy mold, that Christian mold. And outside the, that box, Luke's gospel is for you. And he worked really hard to provide an accurate account. Historians have been able to um, kind of, um, what would you call it, to, to affirm his account because he has accurately named countries and cities and islands accurately in the course of history. And so we put a lot of confidence in Luke's gospel. And I hope today as we're going through this really long passage that has four significant events in it that you'll remember those things. One, that Luke was a Gentile writing to Gentiles. So unchurched person kind of writing to other people saying, hang in there. This Jesus is real. And secondly, that he worked really hard to be accurate. So we can put some confidence in his writing. And then lastly, what I love, love, love about Luke's gospel is that he continues to put an emphasis on the poor. If there was ever a time, friends, that we need to look at the scripture and the word of God through the lens of giving the good news to the poor, it is now. And it is no accident that God has us in the book of Luke during this time of a global pandemic, because it is a time that we have the joy and the privilege to be a part of God's work to the poor. Amen? I didn't hear you. All right, all right, good. All right, let's move on. Um, So this passage, I'm gonna read, break it up and read it in portions because it's quite long, but you'll notice that there's a bit of a pattern here. Throughout this long passage, I'm going to highlight three questions, four miracles, and five opportunities. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be long. This is going to be be long." long. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, there's going to be more questions than three, more miracles than four, and more than five opportunities. But for the sake of time, I'm going to highlight those three, four, and five for you. As always, we're going to encourage you to look at your Bible, read the text, study it yourself. And get the fullness of it um, during the week because it's so rich with examples of Jesus's goodness and his love for us. But for the sake of today, I'm going to focus on these three things, these three questions, four miracles and five opportunities, which show us that Jesus is Lord of everything. Amen. Jesus is Lord of everything. Throughout this passage, we see that He is Lord over nature, over darkness, over sickness, and over death. And You know, when Jeremy assigned me this passage in January, we did not know where we would be sitting today, March 29th, but Jesus knew because he's Lord over everything. And I know many of us have genuine, significant um, pressures on us right now. We have family members who we are concerned about their health. Many of us have already lost jobs or are losing jobs. Many of us are in communities where there is a desperate need for help. So as we are thinking about these passages, I want you to remember Jesus is Lord over everything. And let's get looking and see how he shows us that throughout these scriptures. So our first passage is from Luke 22 to 26, and I'll go ahead and read that for you. All right, hopefully your slides are keeping up with us. Luke 22 to 26. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got out of the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went out and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sail to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Okay, amen. So let's look at this first passage and examine the questions and the miracles that show up in this first story in Luke chapter 8. Now, if you have been around, you, saw, you heard the messages of Jesus traveling from many cities one to another to share the good news. And in this passage, he takes his disciples on a boat trip across the Sea of Galilee. He goes from Capernaum to, I'm not going to say it correctly, but the town is Sense, I think. Um, so he goes from the northern part of the sea to the eastern shore. Now, in doing that, he also goes from a largely... Jewish center of his gospel activity to a very Gentile, a non-Jewish center of activity. Now, this area that he'd gone to was really well known during this time. It was a hub of Greek civilization. It was a hub of influence and of culture. And so for Luke, the writer who is not a Jew, writing to a listening audience who are also not Jews, this would have been significant. And again, it's another thing that makes me love Luke's gospel because by signaling where he went. Luke is saying to his audience, pay attention. Look, this good news was not just kept for a chosen few. Jesus actually intentionally got up and left where he was and went to another place to talk to people like you and me. And that's what we see happening here in this passage, just by that simple act of crossing over in the boat. Jesus is leaving a very Jewish area and going to a place where it is outside of his norm. Go to the next slide then. So in this passage, he asks his disciples a question. Where is your faith in response to the miracle of the storm subsiding and everything becoming calm? Now, he doesn't ask them, did you try to like steer the oar or change the, the, what are those big thing called? what are those big things? Sales, the sales, not asking them, did you change the sales? Did you try this or that? How many of you have ever been stuck with something and like your partner or your friend just keeps asking, did you, did you, did you? And you're like I did all those things and it did not work. So imagine, you know, he could have asked them that. He does not ask his disciples that. And he also doesn't ask, why are you afraid? Imagine, he doesn't say why you're afraid because there was certainly plenty of evidence. He asked them, where is your faith? And I thought it was really interesting And it made me wonder, why did the disciples even bother to wake him up, to tell him, we are going to drown? Do You see the header for the slide is, we are going to drown. They did not wake him up and say, Jesus, come deliver us. Jesus, save us. And in Matthew and Mark, different accounts of the same story, there's some different language around this. But in Luke's gospel, where he's talking to that non-Jewish audience, he highlights that phrase, we are going to drown. Not come help us, but these are the facts. We're going down. And I'm sure many of us this week have felt that kind of stress of like, God, we are going down, this thing is not good. This coronavirus is scary, it's big. There does not seem to be hope for us. And in response to their declaration of we are going to drown, he asked them a question. Where is your faith? And they have an opportunity right then and there to think about where is my faith? Is it in my skill to navigate this boat? Is it in the sails that I built myself and can testify are strong because I've sailed this boat a million times? Is it in the company of fellow fishermen who have experience on this kind of situation who would have been in a storm before? Where is my faith? And Jesus challenges them to put their faith and their trust in him. And I think I understand why Jesus did that. Because by the time we get to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has not just now shown up and started doing stuff. No, he's been with these disciples for some time. He had already been showing himself worthy of their faith. And I think Jesus's expectation of them was to trust him and perhaps to remember all the things he had done up to this point. So prior to this, if you've been following along with our messages, or even if you just know the book of Luke, you'll remember that Jesus has already demonstrated his power to his disciples. He's driven out an evil spirit. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. He healed a mother-in-law, y'all. I mean, that's something, right? He healed many. He cast out demons. He healed a leper, a paralytic, the centurion servant. If you he healed Ben's uh, message a few weeks ago. And he raised a widow's son from the dead. So he has demonstrated a range of his power from commanding spirits to raising the dead. And I think that's why Jesus asked him, where is your faith? A few years ago, there was a popular book that came out by Ann Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts. And basically her book, which I didn't really vibe with, I know it was really popular, but it was, didn't really fit me. But, but the point of this one book was she challenged people to write down a thousand gifts just to keep a journal and write down all the ways that they saw God showing up in big and small ways in their lives. I started this many, many times. I never got very far. But my very good friend, Christy Valletta, hi, Christy did it, and she got past a 1,000, and she just made it a habit to write down every time God's grace showed up, every time there was something in creation that reminded her of God's beauty, every time God gave her a mercy, every time something showed evidence of God's presence in her life, and I think Jesus in this example is saying to the disciples, look, you're with me, You are the special few that I've called to be really on the front row, right? You get a front row seat to my life, to my ministry, to my miracles. You get to see everything. So while we are in this boat and I am with you, where is your faith? Because it's not in me right now. It's in something else. And don't you remember all the things that I've done that I've shown you, that I've demonstrated time and time again. Don't you remember those thousand gifts that you have seen me perform over and over again? John and his gospel, after the last line of the book of John is so beautiful. It says that, you know, perhaps all the books in the world cannot have captured all the things that Jesus did. So there is evidence that his miracles were so plentiful that the gospels that we have barely capture them all. I think Jesus is saying, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And the fact of the matter is, you can go to the next slide, Ben, Faith is not saying that things are not real or things are not scary. No, if you remember from Hebrews 11, when we were in this series back in November, we talked about faith being sure and confident of what we hope for. That faith was the substance, remember that thing that we could feel, that we could hold on to, that provided us hope. And it was evidence of what we do not see. And I think Jesus, in talking to his disciples, wanted to emphasize to them that where is your faith? See, fear is based upon reality, right? coronavirus is real. It's a reality that we are facing. It is serious. And and faith, our faith in response to that doesn't deny its danger or minimize it. But what our faith does, and what I think Jesus was asking his disciples when he said, where is your faith? Our faith says we will trust you, Jesus, with our life, with our future, with our safety, with our loved ones, I know many of you, like us, are separated from our parents, from our siblings, and we cannot at all control what they do or where they're going. Faith entrusts their well-being into God's hands in the middle of this storm. See, faith is rooted in the awareness and the belief that Christ is with us. You know, the disciples' response to Jesus stilling the waves was not, oh, Jesus, we believe, but their response was, who is this? You know, even the winds and the waves reply, even when he was with them, they didn't understand it. There'll be so much about God's work that we don't understand. It will be mysterious to us. But I think the opportunity that we have in this moment right now, it's not put our faith in our retirement savings or in our supposed good health or in our community or in my finances or my salary. My faith has to be at the end of the day in Jesus, in whom I entrust myself in this time where we can very real ways be afraid. All right, let's keep going. The next passage is from Luke 27 through 39 and we see yet another question and another miracle. Let's start reading in verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in the house, but had lived in the tombs or like a cemetery. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him and though he was changed hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons have gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there in the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, pigs, excuse me, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When those tending the big saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man for whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people of the region of Gerasens and asked, sorry, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured then all the people of the region of Garrisons asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. What a story, um, I, to be honest with you, I was gonna skip this story and just preach about the water and then the, the last two stories about the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter, cause those are a bit easier, but this is a messy story. It's got a man possessed with demons, it's got pigs who then get possessed with demons and it's got this dramatic ending where Jesus is actually actually leaves a town, it's, it's a lot. Um, and so it was, it, was, it, was, it was testy for me. I, I didn't know exactly the best way to handle this one. But there is so much richness in these texts. And I, I, I want us all just to kind of stay with me as we walk through this really interesting and unique story from the New Testament. So first of all, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He asked him, what is your name? Well, actually, let me back up for a minute. Let me address the issue of the pigs. So you remember Luke is our writer. He's our Gentile writer writing to not to Gentile people. So non-Jewish people, people outside of church norms. And I think in part that Luke included this story and so do Matthew and Mark both because it happened but also because clearly it's an indication that these are not people who are Jewish because Jews would have never farmed pigs. It wasn't a part of their practice and it was forbidden for them. It would have been considered unclean. So this story of having the pigs in there, I think it's just a signal to say, Jesus really was serious about his going in deep into this community of people who should have been outside of his region, according to societal norms and the societal structures. But he does take time to greet this man. And just imagine you're the disciples, right? You've just gone through the storm. Perhaps Jesus is actually freaking you out at this point because he's caused the whole storm to stop and you're a little bit disoriented from that trip. Then you come out of the shore and you see this guy come at you who has been chained, who has been used to getting out of those chains because he's so strong, he's naked. In Matthew's chapter, it talks about how he'd been cutting himself with stones, so he likely was bloody and a mess. Imagine he's the first one that approaches you as you hit the shore. What would your question be to that man? Would you even have a question? Perhaps our reaction to that kind of confrontation would have been to say um you know what jesus let's get back in the boat and go back to the people we know let's go back to the areas we're comfortable in because this is already weird we already did the storm and now you want us to talk to a guy who doesn't seem to be stable i'm I'm not down for that i think that's what most of us would have done but in this passage we see such a compassionate loving god who looks at him and says what is your name And part of the reason he says, what is your name is because he has also talked to him, right? He said to him, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. But in asking him, what is his name? Jesus causes the man to really confront who he is and where he is. And he says, my name is Legion. Legion is significant because at a historical level, Legion refers to the Roman army unit of 6,000 soldiers. So if a Legion was coming at you, that means you are in danger. Basically, you are really in danger. You were not safe because you had 6,000 people coming at you. And imagine, I think what this man was saying is, my name is Legion. I have been overrun with forces that are too strong for me. It's like an army of oppression and sickness and disorientation has overcome this man to the point where he is so fractured and broken. Imagine calling yourself Legion because you are divided and separated, fragmented and fractured, overwhelmed by all of life. (sighs) Friends, this week was hard. And for many of us, we have felt overwhelmed and we feel overwhelmed right now. We feel overrun by the information we're getting or not getting, by the circumstances that change every day so many friends you know, who were not Kenyan nationals evacuated this week and went back home, you know, wherever home is. So many people here have very, um, very real concerns about what tomorrow will look like. We are overrun. This pandemic has literally overrun the entire world, much like an army of soldiers would overrun a city. But I think Jesus asked him, what's his name? before he frees him, so that he knew exactly what he was being freed from. Jesus says, what is your name? And then he commands the spirits to come out of him. And in that time, I think Jesus is saying, your identity, your real name is in me. It will always be in me. Your circumstances won't define you. Oppression, the the limitations of life, the overrunness of the real circumstances are not who you are. Who you are is mine. Who you are is an image of my father and me. Jesus, by asking him what's his name and then freeing him, provides an opportunity for this man. And we see the first opportunity come up in this passage. He gives him the opportunity to return home and tell how much God has done for him. In this passage, we see that In the question Jesus poses to him that Luke is reminding the writers, Jesus crosses the sea and does miracles among us, the same as he did among the Jews. There are no favorites. Do you remember earlier in Luke four that Jesus had also freed others who were under the same demonic spirits? And I think Jesus is saying through Luke to the Gentile, non-Jewish, non-churchy people, I don't play favorites. I know the church says that I play favorites, I know the church says that I like some people better, but my love, my freedom, my salvation is available to everyone. It does not have any definition. And through the miracle of him freeing Legion, I think he says to the rest of us who are listening, there is nothing that can overrun you. There is no power too strong that can defeat the power of Jesus Christ. That seems like such, I don't know, complicated and weird language sometimes, but can I encourage us in this time where things have maybe slowed down, we're maybe being forced to slow down, that we actually do this seriously, that we actually seriously read about who Jesus is and follow him and see what this entitles us to, to be his child. Because scripture tells us over and over again, there is nothing more powerful than Jesus in his name. We saying earlier that we will build our life, right? We will build our life upon Jesus. And lastly, this opportunity for this man is a way for him to say, um, keep going, Ben. There are now two testimonies to your life. You, the one testimony everybody knows, right? When Jesus says to him, return home and tell him how much God has done for you. Well, the first testimony has already out. People know this man is troubled. The second testimony that needs to be told is that Jesus set him free. And as we go through this season of so much uncertainty and so much difficulty, and I, I, I don't mean any way to minimize it, let's keep telling people what God has done for us in small ways, right? It can be small things where thank you that, you know, my neighbor was able to just sit across and have a conversation with me from six feet apart. It just gave me a, an opportunity to connect or God, thank you, you know, just telling other people God was able to reach me. Someone sent me a thousand shillings. So now I can get a few more groceries. Whatever the big and small miracles are that God is doing for us, let's share them. The world needs our testimony. We already have the testimony out there that things are not stable, just like everybody knew the man was not stable. That testimony is well-established. What I think we have the opportunity now is to put God's testimony of his work in our lives up against the testimony of everything else that we see in our day-to-day circumstances, amen? A time just to say, God has giving me peace of mind this morning. I don't know why or how, but at least I have peace this morning. I can't leave this passage without looking deeply at what happens in verse 37, which is really heartbreaking. Um, I won't read the whole thing again. Ben, you could go ahead, maybe two slides. Yeah, right, actually go back again. Thank you. In verse 37, a heartbreaking part of scripture is told. It says after the owners of the pigs who rightfully so were upset because their income was lost now, right? All those pigs that could have been sold in a market had drowned, so they'd lost income. They go out and they tell everybody what's happened. At the same time, there's a group of people who sees the man healed, who also go around and tell what happened. And they tell, yeah, this man was sick, now he's not. The convergence of these two stories cause all the people in verse 37 of the region they asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear so he got on the boat and he left the people much like the disciples were more afraid of what Jesus did and the outcome of his power than the circumstances they were living in did you see that earlier when Jesus was in the boat, the disciples were distressed because they were like, who is this man that he commands the storms and whatnot to stop? And now here, it's like the, the people on Ges- Geserans are saying the same thing. Who is this man that he's caused you know, everybody to stop and, and this man to be free and our pigs to drown? Who is this man? And that fear of their circumstances, of the things that Jesus has done, prompts them to ask Jesus to leave. And equally compassionate as Jesus was to ask the man, what is your name? He's equally obliging to them. And when they say leave, because we are overcome with fear, he obliges, gets up on the boat and leaves. Oh, that scripture breaks my heart because I am that person who has asked Jesus to not be involved in this part of my life, right? And oftentimes it's because I'm ashamed. It's because I'm ashamed of whatever I've been dealing with that nobody knows about. And so I don't invite God into it. And more than that, I just kind of say, you know what? I got this. I don't need you in it, God. Um, And in this story, we see that Jesus does not push himself on them. He doesn't demand their respect. He doesn't demand their time, their obedience, or their following. He gets up and he leaves. And they ask him to leave because they are afraid. And I guess all I can say to each and every one of us is do not let your fear went out over your faith in Jesus. Don't let our fear in this time overwhelm us. Listen, if you are like me, listening to so many podcasts every day about what's happening with COVID-19 and what's happening in the world, and that fear is building, 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 right? So I've dedicated all this time to listening to all the facts and I've given Jesus maybe a a prayer over my dinner. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Does it beat me, meat, whatever, let me eat, something, something, right? That's all I've done. I have basically asked Jesus to leave. I basically said, I'm going to commit all my time and energy to this information, what I know and see and can understand and none to you. My fear has basically divorced me from the opportunity to bring Jesus into my circumstance. And I just want to encourage all of us during this time, let's not ask Jesus to leave. Let's invite him in into all the uncertainty, all the fear, all the confusion. You know, this man who had there's different scholars differ, you know, some who are more conservative would say he wasn't really possessed. It was probably that, you know, he was troubled. And when he got startled, that's what startled the pigs. You know, they wouldn't believe in the demonic forces. And, and maybe that doesn't sit right with you, too. And it sounds weird. Forget all that. Don't be distracted by the story of the pigs and whether or not this man had demons or if he was just really, you know, unstable. Don't, don't get caught up in all that. And also don't hear me minimizing the fact that depression is a real physiological thing, it is, but I don't think that's what the scripture is about. I think this scripture is posing an opportunity for us. Go tell others what Jesus has done for you. Go tell them all that God has done for you or ask God to leave. Remember I told you there'll be more opportunities than I can list out? Well, this is the one I didn't list out, but I want you to think about. What's the opportunity you're taking in response to what Jesus is doing? Asking and telling others about him or asking him, to leave. It's a real thing. And Luke captures this very real thing, because I think he knew he had an audience of believers who were starting to get persecuted by the Roman empire. They were start, It was starting to cost them to follow Jesus. Luke knew that his audience did not have the stability or the security of maybe a Jewish culture or tradition that might have given them the option to just kind of pretend they were Jew- Jewish, but kind of be Christian. They were Gentiles who were going from completely not acknowledging a monolithic God, our system, to saying we've seen enough to give up everything, our reputations, our livelihoods, our security, our place in society to follow Jesus. And I think Luke is capturing in the essence of this story the opportunities that they have and that we have today to choose to follow him, so much so that the man wanted to get into the boat and go with Jesus, or the opportunity to ask him to leave because we are overwhelmed by our circumstances. God, give us the grace to choose wisely. You still with me? Are we together? Okay, yeah, they've said yes, so I'll keep going. And I, as always, we'll try and go quickly through these last few slides. You can look at this later, but here's the review, yeah? Oh, one thing I do wanna say, sorry, Ben, if you can go back, I I wanna point out this one slide. Okay. I wanna share this one point because I think it's really worth noting before we go on to the next story that Luke also seems to point out that The people in this town valued their possessions more than the people. They valued the loss of these pigs more than the freedom of this man. And I just want to say in the time of this, we're all going to be tested financially in the next coming weeks and months. Let us keep Jesus's principles at the forefront of our decision-making financially, that we would value people more than our projects, our possessions, our savings, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's going to be harder for those of you who have a lot right now and I want to speak to all of us who have margins in our life, who have financial buffers, let's really seriously consider. And one way that you can do that is the government has this pay-as-you-earn tax that's going to be reduced starting in April on salaries from 30% to 25%. We are asking all of you who can, so listen to me carefully, those of you who can, to prayerfully consider giving that 5% difference to those in need, either through Corona Rehema to those in your community, to your staff, to your Askaris, and to you know, many um, organizations that we'll, we'll highlight as best as we can through LBC, consider giving that 5% difference to health workers, to communities, to school communities that need the help during this time. It's one way that we can value people over our possessions. Okay, moving right along, are you still with me? I can't see everybody, so I'm just trusting everyone is still there, but how am I on time, like on a while? I've gone a long time as always per I'm on brand guys. What can I say? I'm on brand online or in person, I'm on brand. All right. So I think what I will do is quickly touch on a couple things from the next passages or should we go to closing worship? What do you think, Ben? Okay, all right. So Ben, why don't you go, you can go ahead a few more slides. So the last two stories, actually you can go back one slide we'll stop there. The last two stories are very similar. They both involve women A woman who suffered with an issue of blood for 12 years, likely it was, um, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been fistula, some um, leaders and researchers say of the Luke's gospel. But either way, for 12 years, she had been bleeding, which would have put her unclean, would have put her outside of every societal norm. According to Hebrew law, a woman, when she's menstruating, cannot even be in fellowship or contact with anybody. So that's supposed to last, you know, three to five days a month. Imagine for 12 years, she hadn't had any fellowship, anyone touching her anyone near her. So she's the first character. Our second character is Jairus's daughter, another woman. And she was 12 years old. I kind of love it when the gospels do that, you know, when you kind of get two numbers, I'm kind of like a numbers person, I love it when it does that, because I think it highlights to the readers pay attention, there's something significant about these details that are being included. Without, um, maybe I can, um, without reading the whole text, but you can refer to it later, because the slides will be available. Essentially, Jesus returns back across the sea, goes back to the Capernaum side of the lake. When he gets there, there's a crowd, and they are pressing in on him. As soon as he sees the crowd, he also meets Jairus, who the this Jairus uh, Jairus Jairus, excuse me Jairus. Anyway, Jairus is there, and the scripture tells us that he falls at Jesus's feet. Matthew says he worshipped there, and he says, "Please come to my house. My daughter is dying." Mark says she was already dead. Luke says she's also dying. So either way, it's, imagine the scene, right? A crowd of people crushing on Jesus, very different than the crowd who had just asked him to leave, by the way. Jairus, a synagogue leader, somebody who would have been known in the town, at his feet, asking him, please come to my house. That's what the story tells us, right? While this is happening, a woman comes through the crowd and the scriptures in Matthew and Mark tell us that she had tried everything she could. She had spent all that she had and yet her condition was not getting better it was getting worse and luke tells us that no one could heal her she was desperate and one of the most retold stories in the gospels is the story of this woman who says, if i can just t- touch the hem of his garment i will be healed if i can just reach the hem of his garment now i want to contrast for you jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. who doesn't yet have a name, by the way. Jairus, because society affords it to him, is in Jesus' front. He's face-to-face with Jesus, right there, then falls at his feet and says, come help me. The woman with the issue of blood, because of how society sees her. You see how society gave honor to the man, the leader? He gave dishonor to the woman with the issue of blood. Where does she go? Where is she? Where is she? That's right. She is at the back, reaching for his hand, not in front of him, not in the view of other people, quietly trying to reach his tent because she knows, again, this is now back into the more Jewish area. If anyone sees her who knows her, they don't want to be touched by her because if she touches them, she makes them unclean. And if she touches Jesus and Jesus finds out, she makes him unclean. So the risk for her is high. In the passage, it says that Jesus, she touches his hem, she's healed instantly. And Jesus stops. And it was like, who touched me? I know that power has gone out of me. And no one comes forward for a second. No one comes forward. And then he says, and she realizes that she was not going to go unnoticed. And the scripture says that she tells why she touched him and how she's been instantly healed. It's such a beautiful, beautiful passage because he says so many things and accomplishes so many things for her in this passage. First of all, Her faith in Jesus was not the result of hope. It wasn't hope that he was yet another, you know, kind of doctor healer. In fact, her faith in him was the absence of hope in her life. She had no more hope in her life. There was nothing else that she could do or nowhere else she could go. So her faith is a response to the absence of hope in her life. Do you see that? There was no hope. So what she worked on, she worked on faith. See, a lot of us work on hope a lot we hope we'll do well in school and can go to university we hope we'll get a raise and can set aside extra money at the end of the month we hope our children will become good people and, and take care of us when we're old amen amen yes jesus is saying let me let you think about it a different way hope is great but hope is not faith faith is going to cause you to do something that will cost you everything it will move you it will make you desperate it will prompt you to go find Jesus and this passage reminds me that the gospel writing in Luke 4 and in Isaiah reminds us that blessed are the poor this woman was poor in comparison to Jairus she had no societal um, accolades she did not have a high reputation she had no worth by society nobody would have found her value blessed are the poor see many of us reject God because we have so many other things we can count on. We have jobs, we have 401ks, we have whatever, whatever. It doesn't look like we're rejecting God, but we have hope in those things, you see? We have hope in those things that we've accumulated, that the comfort, the things I can feel that provide me security. And in that, we reject God. But blessed are the poor. Jesus, God has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the See, Jesus was always around the poor, not just physically, uh, financially poor, the poor in spirit, the confused, the the discouraged, the lost. I mean, the Bible's full of, right? Zacchaeus up in a tree, like just hanging out with tax collectors, you know, hanging out with the women, you know, by the well. All these people were outcasts. Why? Because they were poor by society standards. Nobody ascribed them any worth. But in those places, faith shows up because no one else can offer you anything. And you know what, if that's the place you're coming to God from, you're like, I have actually tried everything else and nothing else has worked, so now I'm going to try God. He doesn't care. He is okay with that. Try him. Try him. Your faith in God will never be disappointed. It will never be disappointed. In this passage, Jesus acknowledges her womanhood. He doesn't actually let this thing even go out quietly. He says, who touched me? And I think it's because he wanted to restore her back to societal relationship by acknowledging her healing and calling her, what daughter? You remember she didn't have a name, Jairus? We got Jairus's name. We got Legion's name a second ago. Luke leaves her nameless, hallelujah, but not Jesus. Jesus calls her daughter. And do you know what? It's the only time Jesus calls somebody daughter in the gospels. He refers to followers of him as daughters of Jerusalem. Later on, he talks to Jairus's daughter and says, "Um, my child, The only time he gives like somebody a real name, hallelujah, is in this passage when he calls this woman who had been rejected, suffering, torn up, broken, heartbroken for 12 years. He gives her a name and the name he calls her is daughter. That's my God. That's my God. That's the one we build our life upon. The God who looked at each one of us who may have rejected him for many a year, tried everything but him for many a year, but come to him and say, Jesus, if I can touch you, I know I'll be made whole. I'll be made different. I'll have peace. Jesus looks at us and says, daughter, be made whole. And not just that, but go in peace. You know, if she had been healed by him and then left later, she would have had to convince people that she had been healed, but Jesus restores her publicly. And on top of that, If she had touched him and been healed and left, she might've also felt like, gosh, I took something from Jesus. You know, I wasn't supposed to do that and I did it. Now I got to go find some pigeons or doves to take to the temple or whatever. But Jesus says to her, look, my grace, free, go in peace. God is not gonna demand anything from you. You saw earlier, right? When when the people asked him to leave um, or whatever it was, he left. When he gives a gift, it's free. Grace is free. Faith in Jesus is free. He says, "There, go in peace. You don't owe me anything. If you want to follow me, I welcome you. But go in peace. Amen? Amen." One last look at this story of Jairus's daughter, which many of us also know really well. Jesus, in this last message, if you can go take the slides forward, Ben, for me. Let me just give it one second while I. Um, oh, you're good. yeah. Let's go back one more. Let me just read this passage to you one more. Thank you. Let me just read this last passage and show you two more slides and then I'm out. All right, Jesus, uh, Luke 8, 49 to 56. <laughs> My family's making me laugh, sorry. Okay, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe she will be healed. When he arrived at the house, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. Y'all, I don't know. Maybe I would have laughed if I was there too, but I would hope I would not laugh at Jesus. Anyway, knowing that she was dead, they laughed. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened so a few key things from this and then we will be done all right jesus does a couple of things here that are pretty amazing i'm just waiting for my slide to come up so i can tell you what they are um you can go down two slides, then thank you uh one, one more i'm sorry go back one thank you all right so one, the miracle, the fourth miracle here, he raises her from the dead. Her spirit returns, right? Even though they said, don't bother the teacher anymore. So I want to actually stop. I want to rewind here. Just stop right here. Don't bother the teacher anymore. This passage really stuck with me. And so I just want to give you a little freebie thing here on the side. I want to talk to all the women who are watching. Okay, see, we are the, like the chief people who will say, don't bother the teacher. We will just take things on ourselves. And as I was preparing this, I really just felt God even convict me. I am the number one person who will say, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. No, I, I got it. And worse than that, I will not pray about stuff because I will just, 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 shuffle, just struggle in my own life to do it. And this whole superwoman thing is, is a myth. It's not real. We know that, right? We've accepted that. So let me tell you friends, sisters, women, mothers, nurturers, caregivers, leaders, executives, artists, creatives, humble people, Let's bother the teacher. This idea that we can and should do everything at once is not real and we need God's help. So if you don't have help right now and you need help, can I encourage you this week to reach out to somebody, text somebody and to say, "Um, yeah, I need help. Help me pray and believe for this. Help me pray for me in this. Let's stop being so isolated because everybody is struggling and we need to bother the teacher together. Amen. All right, that was a little free thing. Quickly, then we're gonna wrap up. Several opportunities here that he gives the followers who are now, remember, Jewish or people who should be into this whole command obedience thing. Don't be afraid, believe, even in the face of this horrible situation. Stop wailing, stop making all this noise and, and, and mourning when I'm in the room with you. And then thirdly, he says to the daughter, get up. And then he says to them, this is something I didn't know, but remember, more opportunities than we see. He says to them, give her something to eat. So quickly, quickly, then you can go to the next slide. I think these opportunities basically say to us, how do we respond to God during a crisis? How do we respond to him? What are the things that we do in the face of a crisis like Jairus had with his daughter? How do we respond? He gives us plenty of opportunities to choose between all kinds of things. And based on our whole passage today, in Luke, I want to ask us, in the middle of this crisis right now, which is very real, have we gone to him in prayer? Did we wake him up? Did we question who he is? Did we tell him our name? Did we ask him to leave? Did we fall at his knees? Did we touch him? Did we doubt? Did we laugh? Did we wail? How are we responding to God right now in this crisis? Right now. Okay, I can tell you how I responded this week. I have stressed out. I have gotten stomach aches. I have done a lot of Zoom calls with friends and family to cheer me up. I have tried to exercise a bit more. I've also drank too much wine in the process. I have done a lot of things in response to this crisis. What I'm also trying to do though, is every time I read a news report or a headline, I pray. It's like, because I'm reading so much news right now, it's just my reminder to pray every time. Whether it's just saying, God have mercy, God have mercy. A friend of ours son was in surgery this week. All I could say was his name because I was so overwhelmed with like concern. I could just utter his name before God, Jesus. John, just remember John, remember John, remember John. That's all I could say. And in this time of crisis, we have lots of ways to respond. Jesus shows up, he is compassionate. He will sit with us. If we ask him to leave, he will. But I also love at the end of the story, when he says to them, give her something to eat. I think it's because he didn't need to feed her. That didn't didn't require miraculous intervention. That just requires somebody doing what needed to be done. So for all of us listening, we need to feed ourselves in this time. Jesus will do the miracles. He will encourage us. He will still the storms. He will help us. He'll stay with us. But the thing we can do is to feed ourselves. The thing we can do is read the Bible. The thing we can do is pray. The thing we can do is turn on worship music and just listen today. I haven't listened to the news because I was trying to get ready for this sermon. I wanted to come to you guys all juiced up on Jesus. So I didn't read the news. I have no idea what's happened today, anything new but I have been focused on Jesus and feeding myself. I need to do that every day. So y'all, as we think about you know, what's ahead and what this week will um, look like, we do not know. But I want you to look at Luke's gospel, consider the questions, the miracles, and the opportunities that Luke's gospel gives us. And I just want to leave you with one passage of scripture just to encourage you that God is with us in this time, y'all. I know it's so hard. God is with us. I want to read to you a passage from John in Hebrews. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then from Hebrews 13, five, never will I leave you, never will I take you. Amen. All right, I'm gonna ask Selah and Silas, I know some of you have to go, feel free to go. Um, We're just gonna close with a song, good, good father, just to remind us who we are and who he is. And after they sing, I'll come back and just close us in prayer. During the song, just take time to listen to God, worship him, feed yourself with the truth, um, and just respond to God and what he might be saying to you. Bye. Okay, thanks for joining us at LVC today. Um, I pray that you feel encouraged by this word and reminded that he is a good, good father. There are questions and miracles and opportunities all around us. These days are not easy, but God is with us. Um, I want to remind you to give as you can, please, to Corona Rahema, to LVC, to keep operations going during this time, to your community members, to your neighbors, and check in on each other. Um, I like the phrase physical distancing, not social, because we need each other during this time. Call your mama. Somebody needs to hear that. Call your mama. Call your sister, your brothers, your neighbors, your friends. Check in on each other. I know so many home groups are doing it virtually, so if you need a connection to a home group, just let us know at LBC this week. Nelly and you are working hard to make sure everyone's connected, so send a text if you were listening today and you're like, you know what, I'm that person who does not know Jesus, I'm outside of that normal church convention, and you want to talk more, send us a message, send me a message, we'll follow up, we'd love to talk to you more about it because Jesus is good, the good, good Father, and we are loved, that's who we are, we are loved and he is good, amen? All right, let me close us in a word of prayer, Let me try and talk loud so I don't have the mic. God, thank you for this day. We ask, holy God, to have mercy upon this country, upon our home communities, God. We need your mercy, Lord. We admit we are scared, but we also admit and confess that you are Lord over everything. You are Lord Jesus over six months from now, six days from now, tonight, Lord. You are Lord over it all. And we just raise our hands and surrender to you and ask you, Lord, to be our peace, to be our shepherd. We trust you, we love you, Lord. We pray your grace upon health workers, grocery store workers, restaurant uh, food providers, Lord Jesus, janitors, uh, teachers who are teaching remotely, God, all those people who are working to make this world move in this crisis, your grace and your strength upon them, Lord. Help us to obey you, to give generously and um, deeply, Lord, to bring that good news to the poor of every kind, Lord. Poor in spirit, poor in finances, poor in resources. God, help us to be your hands and your feet. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this gospel that you've given us. And we trust you with our lives. We trust you, God, you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week, everyone. The Facebook page will have updates on the time and the link for next week's message. So join us then, amen? God bless you. Say bye, everybody.
0: Bye. <laughs>